and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly Shonen Jump manga podcast where every week we read all the chapters of Shonen Jump on viz.com as well as another piece of manga. My name is Jeremy, your host. And I'm Kevin, also your host. One day I'll figure out how I enjoy this podcast. My other two are so easy. I mean, you almost had it. I was really close. I felt good about it, but it felt so long. It needs to be less than a paragraph. Anyway... We read Shonen Jump, like always, and it was really good, but also really long. So shall we get into it? Yeah. All right. We start with another new series this week, which is Beast Children, Chapter One. And with a name like that, you just know that that's got to be a manga all about rugby. Yeah, it sort of makes sense. I do get what they're going for, but I was expecting a Wolf's Rain thing. Yeah. And that is not what I got. It's weird kind of getting two sports manga introduced to the magazine at once. The other one is Shogi, so that's less a sports manga. They have different, yeah, they have different feels. But yes, it is weird having two sports manga. This one definitely feels more like all the sports manga we read. Yes. uh, The other month. In April, I guess. It's really hard not to compare it to Ice Shield 21, given the similarities between rugby and football. Yep. And how there are people obsessed with it, although it is kind of flipped. In this case, the main character is the one super obsessed with rugby and the only person in the rugby club. Yep. And the other characters are kind of skeptical about rugby slash don't want to be involved. You've got his super nice best friend who just wants to slack off. So he's in the soccer club because it's compulsory and rugby is violent and he doesn't want to get hurt. Yep. Although he seems to be. I'm sure he's going to end up joining. Well, and there's like a lot of a hidden agenda, like he constantly sneaks off to talk with the main character, but then like he's not just sneaking off just to slack off, it seems like. He's like really interested in him for some reason. Well, like, because not... the main character, his name is Sakura, has the amazing ability to get really invested in something. Something no nerd could understand anything about. I have definitely <laughs> lost large portions of time being like Wait, it's it's what time right now? I, I've been doing this for how many hours? Yeah. And so one day his dad took him to rugby and he was like, ah, oh, but I'm going to miss My Hero Academia. I Which, loved that. It's good. But also this takes place like that was five years ago. So this is now a weird near future scenario. Yeah. It's kind of like, have you ever read the Wikipedia page for Space Jam? No. It starts out with Space Jam is an alternate history movie about a world in which Michael Jordan spent the 96 season with Bugs Bunny. And I'm like, that is technically accurate, but that's a uh, weird way to describe that movie. I guess. Anyway, so he like watched the rugby game and got so into it, he accidentally leaned forward and fell onto the field. Yep. And Japan's star player kind of picked him up and gave him this like motivating speech. And he decided he really wanted to play rugby. Yep. But he couldn't until he got to high school because middle schools don't have rugby clubs. L- listen, that's totally fair. Yeah, it is absolutely fair. That's the it's a very similar thing to in high school. I did track and fields and they don't let you do the javelin throw or, or sorry, the javelin or the hammer throw because both of those are super dangerous. Yeah. Like discus and shot put are dangerous enough. I'm throwing essentially cannonballs around. The hammer throw, though, you're more likely to hurt yourself if because you've got a giant iron ball tied to a metal rope. And then the javelin, people get injured all the time. So It seems like a bad idea to give high school kids javelins in general. Yes, which is why they don't. Yes. And so I understand why they don't allow kids that age to do rugby as well. It's a very brutal sport. Although, coming from the American perspective, it's like, 4 billion people love rugby. 
I thought people really liked soccer everywhere else, though. Like, I bet there are a bunch of rugby fans, but they made it seem like it's way more popular than it actually is. Yeah, Not, and it I, was a weird overstatement uh, at the start. I do get it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe rugby is more popular than I think it is, because, again, I live in America, so I don't know. It is popular in Australia, especially, and also, to a lesser degree, Britain, but it is not as popular as, say, soccer, or I think even American football, although it is more popular outside of the U.S. than Yeah, American that I understand. Football is. So the main, like, thrust of this first chapter is that he gets some rugby advice from an upperclassman of his, who then pretends not to know him when he goes to school. Well, yeah, he initially doesn't know he's an up- his one of his upperclassmen. Because, like, and this is very obvious if you're reading the chapter, although it's a reveal at the end. He is the son of the star rugby player who inspired Sakura to want to play rugby. Yeah. But his father died due to injuries on the field because he had a very, like, you got to hit him hard. You got to go all out every play attitude. Yep. And so his son, like, is very bitter about rugby and especially doesn't like that Sakura looks up to his dead dad. Yeah. And so they play a, like kind of practice game against each other that's not the word i want because practice game implies it's a game of rugby they essentially they play a game of tag is how he describes it and he does a five meter by five meter square he's like all right i can't leave the five meter by five meter square you get to pick whether or not you want to be it or be the person being chased and the person if you're it all you have to do is tackle the other guy and you win and so the main character chooses to be the tackler and they have like five minutes. He has like five minutes to try and tag the guy. Even though he is a small anime boy. Like imagine an yes. anime boy and that you got the right character. Yep. Um, But he manages it because basically the five by five meter square gets all torn up from all his running around it. And the other guy loses his footing. I did kind of like, so they mentioned his intense focus allowed him to where most people they like he'd go for the tackle attempt he'd miss the guy would dodge out of the way then they'd get up ready themselves and go again and he was saying the kid didn't have to do that he would literally go for the tackle attempt go for another tackle attempt he never had to hesitate or ready himself to go again he was just constantly going which i do like as a metaphor for getting hyper focused and it's a cool like not superpower but ability to focus on how that applies athletically yep because it is very similar to some athletic training that as i understand it i haven't gone through nearly as much as you have kevin yeah it's that's very similar it's also kind of similar to my martial arts training of specifically i'm working on even though i'm technically taking a defensive gesture i actually attack first i make the first move i'm the one who initiates i do not wait for my opponent to do something if i wait i lose so I'm the one who does something first, even though technically the way we're, do- we're training, I'm the one being attacked by the other guy. Like, he's the aggressor, but I'm the one. I think it was, I think it's a Bruce Lee quote. He may start first, but I arrive first. Yeah. It's something along that lines, and it's very similar to that. So what did you think of Beast Children overall, Kevin? It was kind of interesting. I wasn't. I'm not a huge fan of sports manga. Yeah, I've me come to, either. I've come to realize, especially after doing an entire month of it. So it's not like I didn't enjoy this first chapter, but I'm like, all right, so it's another sports manga, and we got the rugby kid, and we've got the dead champion's son who's going to, 
as his father said, crush the world of rugby. Um, and then we have this weird slacker character. I've said before that I really like Yui Kamiyo because it is a different sort of flavor than a lot of the other manga in the book, and a sports manga could also be that. But it's weird that we kind of got two back-to-back, even though they are pretty different. And we still have Haikyuu going. Yeah. I guess that's true. is just boring. Well, it's boring to us because we're not huge volleyball fans, and like I might get more into Beast Children if it keeps going. Because I will have like started at the beginning and be getting all of the character story. I'm sure I would be more invested in Haikyuu if I like actually knew any of the characters. With that, let's go to Samurai 8, Chapter 3, Cutting the Tank. What did you think of this one, Kevin? That ended weird. It did end weird? I enjoyed it, but that ended... I enjoyed the weird ending as well. Kind of like, I was expecting this to happen and then whoop, right turn. Yeah. Again, I didn't super care for the first chapter of Samurai 8, but the second and third, I really like the world they're building around. Yeah. And I realized one of the problems with Naruto is near the end, it gets too into its world. But, like, it kind of proves that the guy is good at world building, even though he takes too long at the end of Naruto to go into the history of everything. Yeah. But in this, which is more about a guy moving around and going to different places... I actually think it could be a really good outlet for those, like, talents he has that he misused in Naruto specifically. Yeah. And it might just have been a case of, like, he really enjoyed world building, but didn't feel like he could do it as much in Naruto until it got super popular. And he was like, yes, I can finally release all of this cool lore that I've been building for years. Yeah, I think it's more a fact that he had this super intricate backstory to the entire Naruto world. And then was like, oh, crap, I need to end this. I need to get as much of this on the page as I can. And that kind of took over the manga for about a third of its run. Yeah, but that that's what I mean. Like, he started, he had this super cool world. He wanted to share it with everybody. And maybe when he first started, he's like, ah, the editors aren't going to let me do this. Or maybe they even told him, you know, try and focus more on the story. But then it got super popular and he was able to release all that. So I am liking Samurai 8. Yeah, me too. This is kind of just the conclusion chapter you expect in a lot of ways, but also, like we said, in some ways not. There's some more world building. In particular, we find out most swords in this world have, like, DNA locks. Yep. So you can't draw them if you're not locked to it. Yes. And the, the main plot is that Hachimaru goes to fight the tank bandits, but he has accidentally taken Nanashi's sword instead of his own. Yeah, because the tank bandits, like, crashed through the wall, so they got kind of blasted away, and he grabbed the wrong sword by mistake. Yeah. And he doesn't know that because he hasn't been in the world a lot, so he just thinks he can't draw his sword. Yeah. And the major conflict is Nanashi trying to, like, get over their desire to just run away from all their problems to go save Hachimaru. And it ends with, I guess the fight ends with them running up to Hachimaru and them drawing the sword together. Yep. And And then, like, a big overhead slash. Yeah, and cutting the tank together, which was a really cool-looking page. And then there's a weird line that I wonder if, also, the tank looks like a cake. Yes. It's kind of a small detail. Like, I didn't even notice in the first chapter. I didn't either. They had to point it out here, and it was a lot more obvious once they said that. Yes. I kind of wonder if that's a weird Japanese pun we're not getting. Because Maybe. Because she's like, hey, next time I want to cut cake with you instead of a tank. Yes. And, it, like, that just read to me like it was supposed to be... Like, definitely it's supposed to be a weird thing for them to say, but I also think it's supposed to be, like, a wordplay thing. Yeah, that we I was don't get that's I just was the getting, sense I got. I was getting a marriage vibe. Well, me too. From that. I definitely think that's intentional. Yes. 
and I, maybe that's just why the tank was done that way. I also like just to jump back a little detail on the cake. I like that the tank commander is sitting in a hot tub. Yes, it's a look. Look, tank bandits are very cool. It turns out I didn't yes. know I wanted tank bandits in my life so much, but now I just want a manga called Tank Bandits. Yeah. Anyway, so then the very end, we cut to Hachimaru's dad talking to the cat, and this is another thing I really like. Like in contrast to Naruto. Because I like Naruto a lot. Be- Iruka, after that first chapter, basically goes away forever. Yeah. And sometimes he just shows up for Naruto to talk to. And I like that it looks like this character's dad is going to be more important. I already kind of got that vibe from the first chapter, how he was going out and doing stuff. Yep. But here we find out that he has specifically put this powerful, like, key spirit in Hachimaru. Yep. And the cat is like, hey, you're somebody important, right? You're not just a regular thief. Yeah. And so he's he's holding the soul and he's like, so these souls are extremely valuable all on their own. And this one is ridiculously dense, even to a blind person like me. And then he turns it into a blade and Hachimaru's dad doesn't even flinch. And he's like, haha, I knew it. Yeah, which, again, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Really, I just want more world-building stuff, but I think I'm going to get that from this series. Yep, although not necessarily this world, because we get yeah. Hachimaru is like, I'm going to go out into space and do stuff. That's still world-building. Yes. A big, it's as in Kingdom Hearts, it's capital T, capital W, the world, instead of lowercase t, lowercase yes. W, the world. I just meant it might be kind of cool to... Just like in, uh, like you said, in Kingdom Hearts, we can go to different planets that have different settings. Yeah, different so, tech levels. Yep. Yeah, it's a premise that I'm excited about. And I like space opera stuff, and I really like this mix of feudal setting and space opera. So, yeah, I would like to see how those play. Which brings us to Double Taisei Chapter 2. What's your name? Yeah, this this one also had a weird ending. Yes, it did. A, like, rejection of the premise ending, maybe? Maybe it's too early to tell. So we find out that say lost the qualifier because there was a time limit and he was making all these really brilliant stall moves because he didn't realize there was a time limit. Yeah, he and we have a bunch of so we have the girl friend and I put this girl space hyphen in, friend. Yes, I, I put the space <laughs> in there uh, purposely being like, wow, he would have won in 84 moves or something like that. Because well, and say, even his opponent's like, wow, you're really good. Like, you totally had me beat. But Yeah, but they had a news reporter talking about like, oh, he made a stupid mistake. And Say was getting super upset. Like, what do you mean there's a time limit? I would have won. You know, getting all upset about it. Because when he played Shogi, he never played with a time limit. He played a move at a time. So he would plan out these super intricate plans of like, well, yeah, I've I've beaten you in 84 moves. Anyway, they're still trying to get Say to play more Shogi, but he basically is like, ah, oh, nah, if Ty becomes pro, maybe. Yep. So Ty gets to continue with his qualifiers, even though he lost the first match. And the second match is against that copy guy from Food Wars? Yes. Who's got a twice thing going on where he has to keep himself he's wearing this like binding rig i was gonna say is he actually in a straight jacket or is it just drawn to evoke that imagery i think it might it might be a straight jacket with his ability to move his arms but he's also got kind of like a leather harness that like straps down like at one point he's like tightened the arms the hips the groin the neck like he like he needs pain in order to like 
they mention that he's very weird, obviously. And so he uses pain to help him concentrate or something like that. Anyway, he has copy shogi powers. He copies people's moves. And he decides to copy the previous game that Say and Tai played. Yep. Here's an important detail that I am not sure on. Has Haga played Tai before? Is that stated? I don't think so. Okay. So I so there's a part later that made me think, hey, wait, did it say that before? But then I couldn't find it. So Yeah, I Okay. I am not I do not believe so. At the very least, we are not sure if they have or not. I think Taga says he has, but like which explains what Haga does later. Yes. Anyway, Ty is super impressed that he's like mimicking the game and also like super excited because he wanted to play against Say. Yep. But he ends up winning and he's like, oh, what's your name? You're like worth remembering. And like Haga kind of snaps at that, which I think is like they've played before. And Haga is snapping that he doesn't remember. That might be it. But like the details are fuzzy on that. Anyway, Haga pushes Ty down some stairs when he's not looking. So this is the thing that I got. I felt like it was more of an accident than him purposely pushing him down the stairs. Like, like, he was chasing after him, like, hey, you need to, like, you're not even paying attention. I'm right behind you. Pay attention to me. Because he says, wait, no, as he's, like, falling down the stairs. See, I don't think it was like, I'm going to murder you. I do, but I think it was more intentional than you're implying. I think he meant to push him, but he did not mean to, like, seriously hurt him. I thought he meant to, like, grab him. Like, it's possible either way. Yeah, that just that was the feeling I got off him because it seemed like he really liked him, but he was just kind of annoyed. It's like that Ty is the super genius who's not noticing anyone else underneath him, and he's like, hey, I'm right here, pay attention to me. And then he, instead of grabbing onto him, caused him to slip and fall down the stairs. Yeah. And, like, it really hurt him. Because Hog is weird. The way I read it was, like, he was just trying to get his attention, but he did it by pushing him. Okay. I mean, maybe that maybe that is what happened. I just I, I, felt I don't like know it, either way. Yeah. I, yours is believable, but anyway, there's a weird u- in utero dream sequence, and like Say wakes up at night and he's like, "Oh, weird. Uh, why am I in a ho- hospital? Usually, I'm the one who gets hurt." Yep. It's like, oh, and I'm still really tired though. And then he wakes up the same day, still as Say. And yeah. After that weird utero scene, I'm not sure if Ty died. I or have if the f- he just needs to sleep more because he got hurt so bad. It's possible that it's that, but. It kind of, it gives off the vibe that Ty died. Yeah, which is a super weird thing to do in chapter two of your weird manga about a person who's two people. Yeah, and maybe he, maybe, like you said, he's just ties in a coma or something like that. Or maybe they're going to flip when they're active. Maybe. Maybe Ty will be the day person, or no, Ty will be the night person and Say will be the day person now. It's just a super weird cliffhanger, which has me enticed, but it's a weird chapter. Yeah. But that cliffhanger really made me go like, all right, well, I really need to read chapter three now. That was okay. Like, I it left me kind of cold isn't the right word, but I was like, huh, where is this going? Not in the like, I have to know where this is going way, but in a huh kind of way. Some of that might be from the fact that I thought it was more of an accidental push, so I'm more interested in the story. That is more interesting if it is that way. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt for now and say it is. Yeah, we'll we'll see next week. Uh, but something I was very interested in was One Piece chapter 943, Smile. Yes. Which is some of that good, good One Piece shit. Yep. Some of that, oh, we want to make you the villain so bad that all you want for the next year is for Luffy to punch this guy. And then he's going to spend the entire year just out of fifth reach. Yes. Until we get a beautiful splash page. 
Yep. There is a problem Odai has where I don't think he's ever going to top that w- guy who like would take political dissidents and transform in- them into toys who had all their memories, but no one else remembered them. As yeah. far as dickish villain things, I don't think you top that. Yeah. But this is pretty good where we find out that the smile fruits are named because they only have a one in 10 chance of giving you devil fruit powers. And the other nine people just lose their ability to feel sorrow or rage. Yep. So he started putting the bad fruits and giving them to the poor so that he could not become upset. Yeah. Which, you know, is a pretty good villain thing to do. Yeah. He was upset at the people always crying. He's like, Wano is a land of smiles. So I'm feeding this fruit to everybody. And now they're always laughing. Yeah. And then this chapter has an excellent ending where Otoko is about to get attacked slash executed, I guess, because she runs out after her father dies. Yep. It's laughing because it's all she can do. Yep. And Zoro and Sanji go through, oh, hell no, and run out to attack. But then Zoro and Sanji are together like, what the hell are you doing here? Yes, because they, they, they... If you don't remember, because it's been five goddamn years since they've been on panel together. Those guys don't like each other very much. Yeah, well, and they also <laughs> didn't know that the other was there, essentially. Yes. Also, Usopp says something about Otoko is trying to give the toad oil to her father as medicine, and Usopp is like, wait, no, it's not. And it just makes me wonder if Usopp gave her something, not snake oil, but something ga- gave her something weird. I-, I took it as just Usopp's like, no, it'll be even worse when you try to. Yeah, and fake medicine, but it is more interesting if it's your way, because Usopp has all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, he's got all cool plant powers. On well, the other hand, I don't think, and plus shell powers. Yes. The old stuff, too. I just don't think he would give that to a random child. No, but he might have given her something, some weird plant. That's true. So, yeah, I'm excited to see, like, Sanji and Zoro have to fight some guys while rivaling at each other. Yes. Especially since, like, we haven't seen Zoro. I guess we just saw Zoro and Sanji fight but have individual fights. Yeah. But it's still, like, we went without Zoro for so long that it feels like it's been a really long time. Yeah. And Sanji didn't really get a fight in the Big Mom arc, even though he was pretty central to it. I guess there was the fight with Luffy, but... Yeah. That does... I'm not counting that. I can't count Usopp's fight against Luffy, so I don't know why I don't count Sanji's, but there it is. I feel like Usopp's fight with Luffy had more going for it than Sanji's fight did. And, like, they're different in that Luffy fights back more against Usopp, even though he is holding back in both of them. Yeah, well, he's holding back because he doesn't want to hurt his friend, but he's still like, I will accept your wishes to actually fight me. Yeah. Whereas with Sanji, he's just like, nah. No, you're, uh, you're, not, you're not thinking straight. You're still on my crew. Yeah. Stop being an idiot. So, yeah, I'm very excited for next week's One Piece because, again, we're in a very good One Piece place right yeah. now. Which brings us to My Hero Academia number 229, All It Takes Is One Bad Day, which is a chapter title almost certainly referencing the killing joke. Probably. This is kind of twice his origin. Well, not origin. We've already got that. But it's a more, more in-depth look about why he wanted to become a villain. Yeah. And also why he is, why he acts the way he does. Or a little bit more insight into why he acts the way he does. This is also where I got very tired and started just writing my notes for an audience that doesn't exist. Mostly with a bunch of swear-based humor. Nice. 
which is where I write that twice says that if you break one of his duplicate's arms, they'll die. So he's never broke. He's been very careful to avoid injuries because he's afraid he's a duplicate. Next note, dumb motherfuckers broke his arm. <laughs> yep. I actually, I really liked that moment. Oh, of, it's very good. It, it I'm was, making fun of it, but yes. it's exactly what you want it to be. It was really good where, because we've noticed that he's always worried about splitting apart. He never makes duplicates of himself because he, he's worried he's a duplicate. Yeah, because his origin, if you're not familiar, is he, well, we kind of get more of it here. He had a really bad day. He got really unlucky. He was accidentally hit a pedestrian who like jumped in front of him. That pedestrian's family were big clients at his job, so he got fired. Yep, and, and just kind of kept spiraling. Yeah, his parents had died in a villain attack, so he didn't have anybody. And it was like that day just kept getting worse. So he realized that, well, I mean, he knew he could make clones of himself. So he made a clone army of himself. And he was like, ah, I was having so much fun. But then, like we know, he had the thing where all the clones started arguing with each other about who was the real twice. And started killing one another. So that kind of... I'd, admittedly that broke his sanity like watching yourself fight yourself to death and then also the pressure of not knowing whether or not he's a duplicate like am i the real twice or am i am i just one of the clones and if i if i disintegrate do i just vanish yeah so the league of villains decide they're gonna like play with his sanity even more by making a bunch of things that look like him kill toga not the league of villains the oh yeah I'm metal sorry, liberation right. army yeah, and I think my theory last week is wrong. I think that this guy's power just lets him make objects look like people. I it doesn't really explain the weird stitch together foreheads. So it's because twice thing, it's because twice also has that stitching. On I guess his that's head. true. He does, but they he also does mention that they're cold. So I mean, a table is cold too. So. Yeah, so maybe they do mention that he has the way of manipulating them. So. Maybe he was just able to make objects look however he wants to. That, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But I, I, my original theory is cooler and more morbid, so. Actually, way. now that I think about it, your original theory won't work because twice his duplicates oh, disintegrate. Oh, you're right. Yeah, like Kagebushin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they kind of like, it's more like the Dresden Files ectoplasm where they turn into slime. That's true. So anyway, dumb motherfuckers break his arm. <laughs> yep. And he's like, they broke my arm. I'm not gone. I'm real. And then he makes a bunch of clones of himself. Yeah. Because he finally has the moment of like, that's literally been my biggest fear for the past, I don't know, seven years or something ridiculous like that. Like, I've been afraid that I was a fake. And so I've been trying to not get hurt. And this is the first time that I did. And so they had like, they had planned out all this stuff of like, oh, we've been, you know, looking into twice. And so we know we're going to use his clones and that's going to make him flip out. And so I was like, all right, so. He's either going to break down and start crying or try and run away, but he, like, goes to try and save Toga, and uh, the one guy, the puppeteer guy, is like, well, I wasn't expecting that at all. Oh, well, we'll just push on him harder, and that's when they break his arm, and the smoking mobster guy that they have captured, we see a little bit more info into twice when he kind of, like, recruited him to the villain side and was like, hey, there's this League of Villains that you might want to check out. And him explaining, like, proper use of your quirk could, like, destroy the world, which makes sense. If you can just make clones of anybody, that's yeah. terrifying. Like, let's make a bunch of clones of All for One, and ta-da. Yeah. Well, and also, it led to Tuga, which might be my favorite name for a chapter of My Hero Academia ever. Or yes. anything. It's just a really good chapter name. 
Yeah. So yeah, really good My Hero Academia this week. Yeah. Lots of good this week. Yep. Which brings us to another one that I thought was on point this week, which is Chainsaw Man Chapter 23, Gunfire. What did you think about this chapter, Kevin? Yeah, this was... This is taking that twist to a new level and has me really interested as to what's going on. So we see a bunch of the other devil hunters that were like kind of the scrubs on the mission with them. And um, other devil... It just like... It wasn't just the no. ones on the mission. It's like other devil hunters as well. Who are, all have people pulling guns on them and shooting them. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, the power, Aki, Denji, that's the main character's name, and... Uh, Captain Eyepatch. Himano are all eating together at a diner. Yep. Just kind of hanging out like uh, Himano said she wanted to with Denji when a dude kind of rolls up and pulls a gun on them. Yeah, and first he alludes to... and. He mentions that the Yakuza boss that... Yeah, well, it's it's a slow reveal. So, like, yeah. you figure it out as the audience before he says yeah. it. But he's like, ah, my grandpa was a Yakuza boss. And, like, I, my, I heard he only killed a handful of women and children. He wasn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Which might be my favorite line. Like, he to me, he was just grandpa, and he spoiled me. And it seems like you were chummy with him, Denji. And he's got a picture of Denji and the Yakuza guy who was... In control of his before. death. Yeah. In control of his debt, yeah. And then he's like, hey, the gun devil says it wants your heart, and then pulls a gun. So it does seem like the gun devil is coordinating this strike somehow. Yes. Or some people using its name, but... No, um, it's it does seem like it's the gun devil, but it instead of it being the gun devil, it's like the gun devil has a secret organization. Yeah. So he shoots Denji in the head. Yeah, but it, it seems like Denji survived. I feel like Denji can survive that because he's weird. Yes. Uh, anyway, and the power goes and punches him in the face. And I kind of, I really liked the art on that. So yeah, we see shot. we see Aki and Hamano kind of dodging out of the way. And we see power literally blurring behind Hamano. And then showing up kind of still more blurry, punching the guy in the face. We've talked a lot about how the artist kind of struggles with fight scenes. And that is not the case in this one. No, that, that one looked very good. I think the problem that he faces is blood and gore and like the tearing effect of the chainsaws because we've seen other action like sequences that don't have the same problems that some of his fight scenes with denji do so i think it's just he struggles to show like the blood splatter effect of the chainsaws like it just ends up being super muddy it's like all right so there's just a bunch of black ink on the page so aki uses his friendly wolf demon to eat the dude yep who then like rips out of the wolf demon well and the wolf demon is like You've made me eat something monstrous. It's neither a devil nor a human. Yep. Which is like what I have written down as the cliffhanger. But I guess the actual cliffhanger is he bursts out looking kind of like Denji. It's not chainsaws. He's kind of more pyramid headish. But he's got swords. Yeah. So he's got a sword coming out of his head and two swords coming out of his arms looking very like Denji. Yeah. With like his head is modified. And so he seems to be a sword devil like or a sword devil hybrid like Denji. Yeah. Which is the most excited I've been about Chainsaw Man in a long time. Yeah. Speaking of excited, that leads us down to Food Wars Chapter 312, A Flavor to Call Your Own. And again, this is where, like, writing for his audience that doesn't exist, Jeremy, wasn't I, my first night is just naked milf. Yeah. Because Aaron is mom, first clothes. And I'm really sad that we didn't get parkas. We just got exploding clothes. Instead of just falling off, they explode. Which does not artistically really change anything no but it was definitely interesting yeah 
This whole chapter was not a letdown, but it's kind of just the denouement. The real climax was last week. And this is just them talking about why Soma is clearly going to win before he does. Really, I actually like this chapter because I liked the turn on. It was more seeing Saiba. It wasn't just that this is why Soma's winning. It's kind of like Saiba, this is why you lost. Yeah, and I do like that. It is setting up for Saiba to come back later. Yeah. Pretty hard. Talking about how, like, Saiba, like, you don't have a cooking style. Like, yeah. So, Erin's mom is like, so when you break down all of the layers, you're. There's nothing there. There's no flavor to call your own. And that's happened to Soma before when Ryu, no, Hagiyama first won that tournament, got first place. They were like, that was worthy of being his specialty. Your two guys is you made amazing dishes, but they weren't yours. They were just amazing dishes. That was a Hagiyama dish. Yeah. And so this was like, that was the exact same thing of like, yeah, Saiba, you're really good at cooking, but... All you did was combine those two guys' talent or, you know, multiple people's talents to make this dish. Nothing about it was yours. Yeah, and in contrast, I really like Soma's bit about, like, yes, you did beat my dad, but, like, I've been trying... You beat my dad as he is now, and I've been trying to beat my dad, like, in his prime my whole life. Yep. So I've been, like, hungrier for this. And yep. I also like the bit where Saiba's like, well, you can have your dad's knife back then. And so I was like, nah, this wasn't a bet. We didn't have anything on the line. Yeah. I don't need that. Yep. And then we get some more insight into, so because Saiba, or Jujiro had also told Saiba, hey, the secret to important cooking, or the secret to perfecting cooking is finding somebody that you want to make good meals for. Yeah, so that's, that's why he wanted to marry Arina. Yeah, but then there's like a hint that that's not the reason why yeah. he wanted to marry Arina. That like, actually, he's just a lonely boy who wants a family. Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely like all that stuff, but. That, it seems like, set up for much later. Yeah. Whereas, like, the chapter itself is just, like, the inevitable. And in the end, Soma obviously wins the 3 Yep. Yeah. Because his dish does have a unique flavor. And presumably, it's going to be Soma versus Arena in the finals, which I'm very excited for. Yeah. Arena actually has to beat her quarterfinal match. Quarterfinal? Semifinal match. And I could definitely see some shenanigans where her, her mom's just like, well, you're disqualified. Yeah. Soma did it. He wins. Yep. Well, we also end on the cliffhanger of, she was like, well, that dish was amazing. I'm assuming she's going to say it wasn't worthy of winning the blue or something winning, like yeah, that. Yeah, essentially like that. Like, yes, you beat Saiba, but just because you beat Saiba doesn't mean you completed my objective of coming up with a new cuisine. Yeah. That, and that does make sense. He did just make fried rice. Yes. But that's his thing. True. It's his specialty. <laughs> <laughs> the friedest ricest. Yeah. That brings us down to Demon Slayer Chapter 159, Face, which continues to just be pretty standard shounen stuff, in my opinion. I did like this fight scene. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Like I said, most of the stuff in this week is pretty good. So a lot of it just kind of falls into, uh, that's pretty decent shounen stuff to me. Yeah. And this is kind of the best of that. Yeah. I did really like, so we learn Inosuke has a new move, ninth form, what was it? Elasti bendy strike. Yeah, where he basically dislocates his joints to give himself reach. Yep. Which was pretty cool. And he like slashed the upper moon across the eyes. And he's like, I'm still not good at landing with that new technique. And as he's like popping all of his joints back in without just with the muscles in his arm. It is very well drawn. Yeah. Well, even the demon is like, you just popped all of you just dislocated, then popped all of your joints back in. Doesn't that hurt? 
I also really like that Inosuke just like grabs the girl's sword. Yes. When he goes to attack, and that he's, he realizes that the other girl is dead. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I, I just wanted to fight, but now I hate you. Yeah. Because he noticed. I don't the, know the character. I don't know the other. I don't know the other the girl's name. He's like, why are you crying? You'll make the Hashira sad. Or, yeah. And then she's like, oh wait, is she dead? Because he notices her like it even sadder when she says that. Yeah. And then it ends with the upper moon too grabbing off the pig mask. The boarhead, yeah. Boarhead, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is a cool mask. Yep. And Inosuke being like, give me back my face. <laughs> I also really like the cartooning on the girl when he does his elasti bendy thing. Yeah. And her just shocked her, look. Yeah, her shocked look looks so good when you see and the the arm looked amazing too, where it's like bent oddly at all of the joints and the sword's just kind of like hanging limply until he pops it back into place. Yeah, I'm not really an art person. Like, I don't find comics to be an especially appealing medium despite doing a podcast about them. That's kind of part of why I wanted to do one about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from the start, the art of Demon Slayer has drawn me to it. Yeah. It's very good. And I am not an art person in the fact that I'm like, I enjoy art and that's about as deep as it goes. Which brings us to another thing I really enjoy. The last Sayuki, Chapter 12, Koriri. I probably said that wrong. Yeah, this was cool. Yes. I mean, last Sayuki, Tintin used to just be good idea after good idea. Yep. So we find out a little bit more about their mission. Furuka, who is the older guy, is like, yeah, there are like 500 Niobu users around Japan who don't fight monsters because they conquered their fear once. But that doesn't mean they want to go around Doing fate and doing it again. Yep. But they do have the will that they didn't want to lose their memories of it. And they're basically our information network. Yep. And they found a monster out here. We also find out that his Nyobu is like a bayonet on a rifle. Yep. Which is also pretty cool. We haven't seen him fire it yet, but I presume he can. Well, I mean, we see him extend it because it. Um, I mean, I he can use he... it like a Nyobu. I don't know if he can also use it like a rifle, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It doesn't appear to have a gun attached to it it looked like it was just one of the wooden like fake rifles and for whatever reason that's what he uses we also learned that estelle estelle i was like i I kept getting aishin i was like i know it starts with an e but that's wrong um estelle has ryanoscape mentions he's like oh it looks like the magical girl's power wand just like it's actually a mace (laughs) thank you very much it's a mace weapon yes it's like oh sorry but they mentioned that Ryanosuke is the only person who can modify his Nyobu like crazy on the fly. And that's the best way to do it. Like, his is just a stick that he can modify however he wants. Yeah. That what normal users have to do is they can get their Nyobu put into a shape that they then, that they're most comfortable with. So, like, not everyone uses it as a staff. So, I thought that was definitely a neat little just tiny thing of world building of like, oh, yeah, so people are going to have all these different looking weapons like, I'm expecting some guy's going to have nun- uh, Nyobo Nunchucks. Or like a three-section staff. Yeah, or something like that. So then, because this series is just good ideas, they fight a... They basically fight a tiger wolf dog monster. Yes. That becomes important later. Don't worry about it. And But it's not very strong, and they kind of go further, and they find this guy on the ground, and Farouk is like, oh, this is probably a disease monster, because the reason we don't just turn diseases into monsters and kill them is because then they act like diseases and can reproduce in human hosts. And infect people, yep. Yes. And it's like, oh, and this is probably cholera. 
Yep. And it's probably infected the whole town because it went after us first. Yep. And cholera looks like very similar to the words for tiger, wolf, and dog in Japanese. Yeah, so the, the story behind, he's like, oh, it must have been the Aizen-ryo or something like that. I don't remember what the, but he had a name for the monster. And he was like, this is essentially the monster that they made cholera into. Yeah, and I really like that he specifically says the monster can like enter the human body and if it fills certain conditions, it reproduces. Yeah. Which again, is, is a super cool metaphor for disease and stories yes also we have the older guy has the ability to make his neobu so fine it won't hurt the human ho- the human body so he just stabs the kid without causing him any damage but killing the demon inside or the monster inside of him i took it more as that he won't like do any like internal wound damage like he's still like it was a clean shot more than yeah like, i guess it didn't do anything it still pierced through it just it made it look like it was almost phasing through him. Yeah. Which was still neat. Anyway, he orders Estelle to go home because it's a disease monster, and she very clearly wants to stay and is frustrated that uh Ryunosuke is getting kind of like special treatment in her eyes. Yeah, but to the one guy's point, he's like, Yeah, you're going to be afraid of this. It's a disease demon. It killed the one of those killed your mom. Yeah. So Ryunosuke walks her back basically to the gate. Yep. But it's been destroyed, and that's the cliffhanger. Yeah. Which, again, Last Sayuki's very good, and I'm very excited to yeah. read it next week. Well, and they had also, this was kind of an important point, he had called reinfor- or gone to call reinforcements, because he's like, the... Oh, yeah, if- because cholera has probably infected this town. And there's Four a- dudes is not enough dudes. They're like, there's like 125 people. I mean, it's a small island, but there's 125 people on this island, like... Four people isn't going to be enough. We'll call in reinforcements, and Estelle will go home. And so, like, they both find out at the same time. Reinforcements can't come because the gate is gone. Yeah. Or broken. And it's a pretty cool shot, too. Yeah. Which brings us to Promise Neverland, Chapter 135, The Search, which is kind of a tease chapter, and that we didn't have one last week. And this week, we cut away from Emma and Ray's mystery tour. Yep. Although um, we cut back to it at the end. We do. <laughs> my, well, should we just talk about the ending first? Sure. Because my note is, uh, and Emma's a baby and Ray's an old man. Because reasons. Yeah, listen. Uh, o- old man is not accurate. He's like an, a grown-up. Yeah, maybe middle-aged. Maybe. Yeah. It's it's hard to tell with anime stuff like that. But he's definitely grown-up. Yeah. So it's their weird temporal thing where, like, even in, w- during one of the first parts of the dream sequences, they weren't the same ages. Yeah. Like, Emma would be young and Ray would be his regular age. So clearly they he's gotten stuck with baby Emma. Just like the contrast, especially since we only get it for one panel. Yeah. It's like a Team Four Star stinger joke. Yeah. The rest of this chapter is Norma sending Don and Gilda to find the, what are they called? The I just call them the blood demons, but that's Yeah, right. it's like Sonia and Mukiji, something like that. The demons with the cursed bloodline yep. that Norman wants dead. And Don and Gilda are like, we're definitely just bait so Norman can kill them, right? Like, yep. Norman made a good pitch about how he wants all his options on the table. Yep. But he's definitely lying to us. We were not born yesterday. Yeah. But also, we have to do it? Because he's shown that while his plan of, well, they know you guys, so they'll, they might show up for you. He He's like, listen, they're only probably going to be in, like, these five places. So I could do it without you. It's just easier to do it with you. And so if we go, we have a chance of saving them. Yeah. I'm sending with them two escorts. One is a kid who I did not recognize, but I felt I was supposed to. Yeah, it was the... 
Is it the it, Speed Ninja guy from? Yeah, it was okay. one of the. It was one of the two kids that they rescued going into that and farm. Like, he's not really reliable, is he? And he's like, and the kid's like, nope, I am not. So yep. uh, he's also sending Aishi, who is a sharpshooter dog trainer, <laughs> who, who only does, speaks demon. Yes, who does because she was kept as a pet by a demon. She's Cassandra Kane Batgirl, but with wolves and a shot and a rifle. Yes, and they're like, oh, she is definitely going to try to murder those demons, huh? Yep. Ugh. We'll just have to stop it somehow. So pretty good chapter of Promise Neverland, like always, but also a weird tease after a missing week and then yeah, and having elsewhere, and which having is a good weird, technique, yes. but also it just makes me want to know what's going on with baby Emma more. Yeah. A, a lot of really good cliffhangers this episode, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, almost every chapter, even like my bottom one, when we get to jump card, I liked a lot more than I usually do. Yeah. And the last chapter we're going to talk about in depth this week is We Never Learn, Chapter 112. Sometimes worrying about the heat and a coat goes against a well-intentioned ex. And so that's basically just all that happens in this chapter. Is that exactly what I just read? Yeah. So. Erica? Yeah. She eats some spicy ramen and then she's eating with her friends. And one of her friends is like, oh, I don't want to be all sweaty for my date with my boyfriend. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be studying with Naruki. Or Yugiya, I need to. So she wears a coat to kind of hide the fact that she's sweating, and it keeps shenanigans keeps happening where yeah. she's like, "But Yugiya's like, oh, you're cold. Here, have some hand warmers. Here, let's get the kotetsu out. Here, I'll turn up the heat." Yeah, and, and like, like she keeps putting in, in in his defense, she keeps putting on more and more clothes, to like try to hide because she keeps she, sweating more yeah, and more. Yeah, so she's like, she puts on a scarf to hide the fact that her face is sweating, and he's like, "Well, I mean, I'm actually kind of hot, but all right." Furunashi once said that. Girls sometimes get chilly and have like different body temperatures. So he's like, I need to be more sensitive to that. And so he notices her putting on more and more clothes. He's like, wow, she must really be cold. And she's freaking out being like, well, now I'm sweaty and I'm even sweatier under the coat. So I don't want to take the coat off. Yeah. And to be honest, most of the shenanigans of this were not as charming as normal. We never learned to me. Not. But when quite. it hit the climax, like the climax really worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> which is like. Yugi gets to the point where he's like, no, you're clearly sick because you're so cold. Now take off all your clothes and get in my bed. Yes. <laughs> um, Which is how you treat hypothermia and people yeah. really cold. You get into, usually it's into a sleeping bag because it's usually in the wilderness with skin to skin contact to make sure that they stay warm. So that's yeah. what his thought is. But Uraka is like, oh my God, is the heat making him delirious? <laughs> yeah. And then Yugi's sister gets home and like right after Uraka has taken off all her clothes to start admitting what's going on. Yep. And she's so sweat drenched that like her white blouse is see-through. Yep. And Yugiya's sister looks like uh, she's about to die. Yep. Before Uraka in like three sentences, like three words explains everything that's going on. And then his sister like, oh, I understand exactly what's happening. Even it's though Yugiya <laughs> doesn't. like, what is going on? Especially as I should have written down the explanation because it's not good. But no. also is exactly what happened. And I love how like kindred spirits they are all of a sudden. Yep. That really works in a chapter. Like I said, most of the setup, most of the setup did not work as well. The very start of it did. But then it, it started getting a little tedious. Yeah. So, yeah, really good issue of Shannon Jump this week. Yeah. So we will have the difficult task of trying to rank chapters from best to worst in the next segment, which is Jump Card.
Jumpstart is the segment where we rank all the chapters this week from the one we like the least to the one we like the most. And there are 18 of them this week. So many. That's a lot. What do you got at the bottom, Kevin? So I have Yui Kamiya at the bottom because I just, I'm I'm not liking the humor in it. And it just, it nothing about it really caught me. I put Yui Kamiya not super high this week because like I said, it was a really good week. But I put it higher because, like, the humor in this chapter in particular is exactly my bag, which is just weird stuff that should not happen just happening at the school like it's normal. Yeah, and I guess to me, it just it didn't come off as a joke. I mean, it definitely did to me, but there are also, like, still weird Yui Kamiyo things where, like, the longer it goes, the more it gets to be almost too much and it stops being funny. Yeah. And just, like, you kind of lose the plot. Uh, I have Haikyuu at the bottom. Uh, even though I liked it a lot more than I typically like Haikyuu, but it was just a really good magazine otherwise so yeah Haikyuu is my number 17 for a lot of the same reason I actually had liked this chapter of Haikyuu a lot more than the some of the past chapters because we have a bit more into the insight of so apparently they're kind of focusing on the fact that the ace of the team is being stuffed all game but then we have some of the other kids kind of stepping up and stuff happening it's kind of hard to explain or describe because i wasn't super invested in it yeah i wasn't taking notes on it i certainly don't remember now yeah but i did like it more than the typical ikea chapter my number 17 is double taisei because i liked a lot of stuff in this magazine and like the ending is like a weird like it seems like they're abandoning the premise in chapter two which like i said there are a lot of ways that could go where that's not the case yeah but it didn't make me go oh i really need to know where they're going with that it just seemed weird to me yep so my number 16 was Hell's Paradise. There was still some cool, interesting stuff going on in this, but it's I still haven't gotten caught up, and I keep running out of time to do things. So it just kind of falls to the wayside of, like, I kind of understand what they're trying to set up here, but I don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, this uh, Hell's Paradise chapter is just a whole lot more about the new reinforcement guy who's coming, why he's bad news. Yep. specifically why he has an awful attitude. I have Jujutsu Kaisen at number 16. It's just some anime fight stuff, basically. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it was a really good magazine overall, so... Yeah, it was my like, number... It pretty was, basic fight stuff. It was my number 15 for a lot of the same reasons. It was just like, all right, so they're the two guys are apparently brothers. They're the three fetuses that they managed to rescue from the Jujutsu school, and there's some backstory into why they exist and what happened with them and so it interesting but not not as interesting as some of the other stuff yeah my number 50 is hell's paradise so gotcha. we just kind of flip those i just like the character work they were doing with that asshole guy yeah a little bit more than just fighting so my number 14 was dr stone there was some really cool stuff going on in this but like you said it was a pretty strong issue of shonen jump so it just kind of went down we find out a bit more about the petrification thing is like a weapon. It's like a grenade, specifically. Yeah. Like they throw it and it has a radius. And it's like tied to a string. Well, I presume that's so they can retrieve it. Yeah, but... Thank you. It's like, that means it has rules. Like, they throw it, so it must be able to affect them, too. Yeah. It's got a radius. Yeah, and if you break... Because the, the one girl mentions that her hair started turning to stone, but she tore it off. And she tore off like that section of hair and she stopped being petrified because yeah. she was no longer in the radius. And so he's like, because it has rules, it means it can be replicated. And be- because it's reproducible, that means it's science and we'll never lose in a science fight. Yeah. 
My number 14 was Black Clover. Even though I really like where Black Clover is right now, it kind of felt to me like I had a lot of those old Black Clover problems back in it. Like yeah. The fight scenes were really hard for me to follow, even though I'm invested in the stakes of them. Yep. So my number 13 was Beast Children, because it was interesting, but I'm not a huge sports manga fan, so... Uh, yeah, I feel pretty similarly about it, but 13 is where I put Yui Kamiya. Because like I said, the humor actually did work pretty well for me. Gotcha. But the longer it went on, the like more ridiculous... It, it doesn't even that it gets more ridiculous, because that's how comedy usually works. It builds and builds. But it just gets further and further from any sort of center. And yeah. I'm also interested, this is the first two-part Yui Kamiya story. I guess it's not the first. I guess the like idle Twitch streamer girl was a two-part story. But yeah. It's a two-part story, so I am interested to see where that kind of goes. Yep. So my number 12 was Black Clover. Not much more to say about it than um, you. And my number 12 is Beast Children. Again, okay. not much more to say about it, but the art problems in Black Clover made me put Beast Children above it. Yep. So my number 11 was actually Chainsaw Man. I I liked Chainsaw Man, just like we talked about. It had some really cool stuff going on but it just kind of went down because I feel like some of the other chapter, all the, the other chapters ahead of it were stronger was my feeling on it. Uh, 11 is where I put act age because while I do like the current act age story, this felt like a very not filler chapter, but a very transitiony chapter where it's just some characters stating more of their motivations yeah. and like a meeting ending and getting to the next part. Yeah. There wasn't anything spectacular in this chapter. Yeah. And, I just ended up liking Act Age a little bit more. So my number 10 was We Never Learn. It was still a good chapter of We Never Learn. Just a lot of other stuff was better. Oh, and my number 10 is Demon Slayer. I feel like for similar reasons, like I said when we were talking about it. It's just some typical Shonen fight stuff. Yep. And it's good. It'll read really well, I think, when it's collected. But nothing really spectacular in a strong issue overall. <laughs> yep. So my number 9 was Act Age. Um, like I said, I just liked it a little bit better than you did. And my number nine was Dr. Stone. I think I also liked it a little bit more than you did, yep. but it didn't fall into the, any of the typical, like, Dr. Stone pitfalls. No. The, like, kind of escalation of what's going on and the reveal of more is interesting. And also it ends with them deciding they're going to sexy up Kohaku so she can get picked to be joined the harem. And then we get the line, using the sexy side of science, which yep. I think is the hardest I laughed this entire issue of Shonen Jump. So it went up a lot of points just for that line nice yeah so my number eight was demon slayer i still really like demon slayer and even though it was kind of typical shonen stuff i really liked the bendy arm technique and just the because it's like he starts taking a swing and the demon is like well he's way out of range he won't hit me at all and then just the panel of him with the bent arm with the girl behind him with the shocked expression on her face just really made me laugh i was like ah, that was that's a really cool technique because it's something that it's the extendo slash that a lot of people are able to do, but they put they made it more grounded in reality, even though Demon Slayer isn't super grounded in reality. But it was like he just dislocated all of the joints in his arm to make his arm slightly longer. At number eight, I put Food Wars. I, again, I think I pretty much said my piece on it. I didn't dislike it by any means, but it felt really anticlimactic after the climax, which is a weird way to put it. Of course, after the climax happens, the action's going to go down. I am excited to see where Saiba is going to be the next time we see him. Uh-huh. But like this, again, just felt like it's what happens before where we get to where I want, which is Arena and Soma going at it. Yep. So my number seven was Double Taisei. And I think, like I said, when we were talking about it, I think because I thought 
the guy pushing him was accidental made me like it a bit. I'm really interested to see where this is going to go with the whole it's a shogi manga and they have the double personality but maybe one of the guys died in chapter two like i'm interested to see when a story does something like that either it doesn't work or it might work brilliantly and it's like oh i wasn't expecting you to this is technically spoilers but it's like i wasn't expecting you to kill ned stark yeah my number sevens we never learn because even though like the shenanigans didn't do much for me in a weird way, that made the climax work even better for me. Gotcha. Not as well as the end of Dr. Stone for some reason, but yep. it was more consistently funny. It's a couple jokes at the end. Yep. So my number six was Samurai 8. Really cool chapter. I, I liked the weird turn at the end, and I'm interested to see more Samurai 8. So just really good. At number six, I put The Promised Neverland, again, because it's a bit of a tease of a chapter. I do like the Don and Gilda story and where that's going. I like having more Norman, and the cliffhanger is really good at the end. But again, it's just a bit of a tease, so it went below the rest of the stuff I really liked. Yep. So my number five was Food Wars. I liked it a bit more than you because I really liked the... It wasn't just this is why Soma won. It was more this is why you lost. And kind of the... We can see where the redemption arc for... Saiba is going to be later on. I just, I like that. At number five, I put Chainsaw Man, just because it finally gave itself some forward momentum that I really liked. And yep. again, the fight scene in a series that often struggle, that often struggles with fight scenes was really good. Yeah. So my number four was The Promised Neverland. It was good to get Promised Neverland back. And even though it was a bit more of a teasy chapter, I still really liked it. I put Samurai 8 at number four. Again, I really like the world building. I really like that cliffhanger at the end. And a cake tank is cool. Yep. So my number three was One Piece. Super solid chapter of One Piece. Really excited to see Zoro and Sanji duking it out. I liked a bit of the more history into the smile fruit. So just really good. I put My Hero Academia at number three. And I wonder if our one and three are swapped. I really like this chapter of My Hero. I've talked quite a bit about how this arc isn't doing it for me as much as other My Hero arcs do. But you've said, and I totally agree with you, the parts that are good are when the villains get to be like shonen characters who progress because of their personal tragedies. Yep. And this does that really, really well. It's probably even better than Toga's, and Toga is a character I like more than twice. Yep. I just thought the other two chapters in this were very, very good. So. Yeah. So my number two was Last Sayuki. Still a really solid chapter of Last Sayuki. Some really cool world building and stuff going on. And I like the cliffhanger at the end. But it didn't make me feel as much as My Hero, which is my number one by process of elimination. Yeah, Last Sayuki is also my number two. Because uh, it didn't make me feel as much as One Piece. <laughs> gotcha. Which is One Piece. I kind of criticized it for not being as good as the Doflamingo stuff. But it's still like really heavy and really cool ideas to like brainwashing political dissidents thing yeah even though it's done in the super cartoony way like you can feel the anger coming off all the characters as they learn what's going on but then you get the like almost comedic like it's a comedic badass shot of Zoro and Sanji both yes. like standing not side by side because they both jumped in to protect and they've still got like their game faces on they haven't had time to react to the other one yet yeah but we the audience know what their deal is and Know that, like, the next shot is going to be them going, hey, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, yelling at each other. And so it's this weird, like, it's a completely dynamic shot, but it has a humor level to it 
if you like read the meta text that I really like, even though it's not drawn in a cartoony or funny way at all. Yep. Yeah, and so like I said, my number one is my hero. I just really liked the the art when twice finally realized that he's real, and I just for whatever reason I just really liked his whole character arc through all of this. I, like I, through I the definitely last chapter. did too. It's a really good my yeah. hero academia chapter. Yeah, so just for me, that was the one. Maybe there was a little bit of the the fact that I read Beast Children first because it was the first thing on the list, and there was that little My Hero reference, and it kind of reminded me of like, yeah, My Hero. <laughs> but I just I really liked when he was finally like, wait, I'm real, and like he's his fears went away, and he's like, I'm going to show you why I'm terrifying. Yeah. So yeah, a really good issue this week. If you have any interest in like jumping on with this, again, this is a week I'd recommend you give it a try. Because even Haikyuu, which I didn't like that much, uh, like it was a good chapter of Haikyuu comparatively. Yeah. Don't for me, really it was just Yui Kamio because I do not like the style of humor in Yui Kamio. So that's really why it just tends to go down. It's not like I think it's particularly bad. It's just if I don't find it funny, there's no point to it. At least from a comedy perspective. And with that said, we are going to move on to Shaman King, which is what we're reading this week. I don't know if I said that at the top of the show. I don't think I did. Probably not. A Shaman King coming up next. All right, so we read Shaman King, Volume 1. I talked a little bit about it last week, but Shaman King's kind of a special series to me, and uh, it's the one manga I really tried to get into as a kid. Mm -hmm. I watched a lot of anime as a kid. One, I do think anime is like a better medium for stories. Not, I, I guess better is very strong, and I don't know that I think that. But it's my animation is my preferred way to see stories. I got gotcha. you. For anything. It doesn't matter if it's superheroes or shounen anime or anything. I prefer cartoons or animated versions. Same here, but I also do really enjoy reading, and I like, I like manga because of the stories in them. Usually a lot of the times... There'll be anime that I like that stop after one season or haven't caught up. So it's like, well, I'll read the manga. And I've been getting more into that as I've gotten older. Definitely when I was younger, comics and manga weren't the thing that I was super into. It was cartoons and anime. The point I was actually trying to get to, I got kind of distracted with that, is that the other big advantage that animation had, especially when I was younger, was for me it was free because my parents paid for cable. Yeah. So like watching all the anime was basically free for me. I just had to record it and be there yeah whereas manga was like 10 to 12 bucks a pop which was is you know super cheap for me now but as a kid who did not have a job and yeah. had a lot of hobbies it was a lot of money yeah it's really expensive but shaman king was the one that i really tried to get into i think just because the dub i had feelings that it wasn't very good it did a bunch of dumb localization stuff that i didn't like yeah mostly name changes although in hindsight it's not really a bad dub like, it's the one I think 4Kids was really genuinely trying mm -hmm. on. Like, it's about the same time where they got One Piece and they revealed their cover of the Japanese One Piece opening that they ended up not using. Yeah. And, like, it felt like 4Kids was really trying to turn their reputation around for a minute uh, with Shaman King. 
Although they still made a bunch of, like I said, bizarre localization choices if they were trying to do that. Yeah. But that doesn't really affect the manga. What did you think of Shaman King overall, Kevin? I liked it. I remember watching the four kids dub, like not the whole thing, but I remember watching it, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to read it because I never had. And I enjoyed reading through this and I was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember certain stuff about this and like I would recognize characters from some of the panels like, oh yeah, it's that person, even though they haven't shown up yet. Yeah. Ryu is probably the one that if you're familiar with the story, you really go, oh yeah. Yep. See, I do. I did enjoy reading it, but kind of my feeling while reading it, honestly, was like, "Wow, Jeremy, why this one?" Like, not that it's bad or anything, but like, I don't really know why I find it special as a kid. Again, it's not bad. There's, it's just like some typical shonen stuff. Yeah, and maybe it's because it gets much better later. I don't know, but none of the characters really resonated with me in a strong way, and like the concept, it's kind of weird knowing where it goes like it's not to the degree that you hockey show is really bizarre yeah if you know what it's gonna be like clearly they're on the path to it but whether it's because of editorial mandate or he thought it was gonna be this it's got a real pokemon vibe to it like a kind of not quite a gotta catch them all feel but a yo's powers if you've not read shaman king is that he's a shaman which means he's connected to the spirit world and can channel ghosts and gain their skills and knowledge yep and he's come to he's moved to Tokyo to basically try to find a bunch of powerful ghosts because Tokyo is a major city yep. with lots of ghosts in it. But as the series go on, it's really just everyone has one partner, almost more Digimon like. Yeah. So it's just kind of a weird it's not I'm not sure if he didn't know what it was yet or if his editor was just really trying to push the Pokemon stuff. Maybe I didn't get as much of a gotta catch them all because he finds Amaterasu? Amaterasu? Adami tomorrow. Adami tomorrow. Sorry. And, like, that's it for the whole volume. Yes, but also, like, the middle chapter, he finds that boxer. And he's like, oh, yeah, he would be a great ally. I need to get him on my side. And he kind of comedically decides, oh, man, getting punched in the face sucks too much. Yeah. But he is, like, actively going after him. And the, like, big fight at the end between him and Ren, who is, if you're not familiar with Shaman King spoilers, kind of the Vegeta figure. Yep. Is over Ren wanting a Mitamaru. Yeah. I just, for whatever reason, I didn't get as much of the, like, I felt like he wanted to not necessarily bond. I, I guess he did kind of want to bond with them. Like, he wants to be their friend. He doesn't want to, like, throw them all in a PC box at, back at Bill's house. Yeah. I think there is a, there isn't a gotta catch them all. That's a wrong thing to put it. He wants specific ghosts. But it is more of he wants a team of them. Yeah. Which, as the series goes on, is not really what happens. Yeah. Uh, that said, some of the character designs are really good. Most of them, in fact, are really good. Amitamaru looks like a samurai, but doesn't look generic. Yep. Like, Yo is a you know middle school kid. He's got the anime spiky hair, but he's always also always got headphones on, yep. which is a really minor like thing, but it does make him stand out. Yeah. Minata, who is kind of the point of view character, has a real distinctive, very cartoony look. Yeah, he's very short. He's Krillin-esque in that he's short with a very round head, although he has hair. Yeah. At least from a like early design standpoint. I'm also curious, what did you think about Minata? Because he, I feel like he's the first point of view character we've gotten who's not the main character. I don't feel like that's a rare thing, but I can't think of another series we've read that has that. Like, you might argue kind of Bulma and Dragon Ball, but it's not quite the same thing. No. 
Because, um, like, Yo definitely feels like the main character. Maybe you'll want to fight me on that when we get to personality power level. No, he definitely, he does feel like the main character. Because Mineta is our, like, window in. Honestly, it's kind of how I felt with Hellwarden. How Higuma was the main character, but we first get introduced through Ayaha. And, like, I was thinking she was going to be the point of view character for the series so like for the first couple of chapters it's like all her perspective and higuma is like well he's on the cover art and it's hellward and higuma like clearly the thing is about him but it's all through ayaha's eyes that's kind of how i felt with minata uh, yeah i suppose i didn't need that connection but it's certainly there higuma and shaman king i think actually have a lot in common yeah i also i wanted to talk about a thing that's not true which is how shaman king's in this interesting place before like after dragon ball had ended and before One Piece was a thing. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually true. This came out after One Piece. Gotcha. But it is still in this weird, like, void between eras. Because Dragon Ball is an era of Shonen Jump. Yeah. And then, like, the One Piece Naruto Bleach, like, part of Shonen Jump is another era. And even though this is after One Piece debuted, it's very close to Naruto. And so that hasn't really solidified yet. So it is in this weird world where people are trying to figure out how to do Dragon Ball Z without just doing Dragon Ball Z. Yep. And I think the Pokemon aspect kind of plays into that. I don't know that you would have needed that at all a couple of years later once Naruto and One Piece were strong. And that's clearly a genre. Yeah. But he also might have started working on this right at the end of Dragon the Ball. Dragon Ball. So oh. even though it came out after One Piece did, he might have you know, started plans on it beforehand. That's certainly possible, but I think there's too big of a gap. It's just like, it's a gap I'm very interested in studying because I feel like it marries two eras mm-hmm. because Dragon Ball ends in 93 and Shaman King starts in 98. One Piece starts in 97. Naruto also starts in 98. Yeah. And it takes a little while before One Piece and Naruto are the things and then Bleach joins them. Yeah. So that era is kind of forming and that's like a snapshot of shonen jump i'm very interested in uh but i feel like we're not actually talking about shaman king too much the art or the plot not really and the art's pretty good in particular i really like the way he draws like motion but not really fights like the way he draws like spears moving for example when ren is attacking yo is really good yeah but a lot of and like when they're clashing blades and like they're pushing each other apart that's also very good but a lot of the other fight choreography is kind of muddled like, Ren carries a spear in a suitcase that he can yeah. assemble anywhere, which is a cool idea, but I don't feel like the him taking it out is very well shown. No, it kind of, it more just felt like he was like, I have this spear in a suitcase, now I have this spear. Mm-hmm. And even, like, the suitcase was not on him beforehand. Yeah. Like I said, the character design is really strong, I think, and I think that's one of the reasons the series was so successful, because you have so many characters since each character has a ghost partner. Yep. And Basho? who is Ren's, like, Chinese warlord partner, also has a very distinct look. Yep. So that's a real strength. I also think this is a series that, kind of like Yu Yu Hakusho, spent too much time doing one-shot stories early on. Yeah, it definitely... It's, what, the second-to-last chapter in the manga when Ren shows up and it starts going? He's technically... He shows up at the end of the third-to-last chapter. Okay. In that Wolverine technically appears in issue 220 of Hulk first, before 221. Yeah. But 221 is his first appearance. And yeah, and those, but those two chapters also feel like a pretty self-contained story, which leaves this volume on a weird note where it's not really a cliffhanger it ends on. 
there's yeah. certainly some new concepts introduced about where the series is going to be going. But this is like I think the first one I've read where my feeling was like ah, I don't have to read the next one. Whereas like I almost always after a first volume of manga, re- even if it's one I don't really like, really want to read the next one. Yeah, I guess some of that is because, like I said, I remember watching the show, so I I know what continues on. But I do remember this manga ended with basically a line of text being like, and he won the day, but what does it mean? Yeah, which is a lame cliffhanger. Yeah. And I feel like I'm dunking on it a lot. I did like it, but it's fine, and I remember really liking it. So I'm kind of wondering what about me has changed, or if it's just that it does get much better later on. I think it's probably that. I think that's a lot of the case with a lot of these manga, or even anime. Like, we all... We, mentioned before that we didn't like the black clover anime and apparently it's super popular now so it's just it's probably something to do with it just it got off to a rough start but then picks up and just keeps trucking along and maybe that happens with this manga that probably happens with a lot of the manga like i keep wanting to say boys over flowers but that's not the right one or in high school host club how we hear a lot of good things about it and we didn't particularly like the first volume yeah and it might just be like because the first volume isn't totally for us that's why we don't like it, and it picks up later on, just like even for me with One Punch Man. The first volume doesn't have all of the characters that are what really makes me like One Punch Man. Like, sure, I like Saitama, but I like everyone else interacting with him. And so, besides Genos, none of the rest of them are in the first volume at all. So, And that's one of the real big advantages of a magazine like Shonen Jump is that you can just read this story that's finding its legs because One Piece and My Hero Academia are amazing, and you're buying the manga anyway. Yeah, you're so buying you might it as well for read them. whatever else is in there. Yep. It's just interesting because I don't think this volume one is particularly strong, and that's usually means you don't get to a volume two. But maybe it's just that the like ending just was bad luck. Yeah, or maybe it's just a weird, I was going to say time setting, but a weird cultural thing and... Because like you said, this came out in 98, so maybe it was just because of the time that it came out that it feels weird to us because we're used to a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, and like the ideas in there are good. And the fight scene, like I said, it's got some problems, but it's for the most part a pretty good fight scene. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have any final thoughts on Shaman King. It's one I was really looking forward to doing for the podcast. I was surprised you called it before me, frankly. Well, like I said, it's because I've never actually read it. Yeah, which makes sense. But, like, I found it disappointing isn't even the right word. It didn't live up to my memory of it, though. That's almost always the case, though. Uh, I mean, I feel like, yes, but also a lot of things, like, when I go back to them, I find more intricacies in them. Yeah, but a lot of the time, it still doesn't live up to your memory of it. You know, like, oh, this was my favorite thing when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, because I'm remembering it with the rose-tinted glasses. So even though you might find stuff that you still like about it or other stuff that you like about it more, sometimes the stories that you liked because they were very simplistic just end up being that. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was just very simplistic. And me being a kid didn't realize how simplistic it was or wasn't used to complex stories. So I'm, I liked it a lot more than I do now because I, don't rem- I didn't remember all of the things that I found boring. Because, like, I just literally forgot them. I mean, that's definitely always true. But also, I'm a person who's gone back and rewatched Power Rangers. And Power Rangers is awful. But I understood exactly, like, why four-year-old Jeremy was super into Power Rangers. Yeah. And I don't really get, like, 16-year-old Jeremy was so into Shaman King. Gotcha. 
So do we want to go ahead and put Yo on personality power level, or is there anything else you want to say? I, I feel like we're, we're ending this on a weird spot, but we are. I also but... don't really know what else I have to say about Shaman King. I don't really have much else to say about it either. I will still probably continue to read it because I like where the story goes. So Yeah, I'm not saying let's not read it again. Well even like even if we don't end up reading it again for whatever reason, whenever I find free time, ha. This'll be something for me to read to just kind of like, oh yeah, I finally read through Shaman King and like know where the story goes as opposed to I remember a couple of episodes from the four kids dub when I was a kid. All right, so with that, I think that brings us to personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality power level is the segment where we rank manga characters from best to worst. At the top is good, good boy Izuki Midoriya from My Hero Academia. At the bottom is boy, that specifically one that's not Yamcha. We don't even have a name for. Nope. From that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. And dead center is Asta from Black Clover. A few up from Asta, we have Goku. And I feel like Goku and Yo are kind of comparable because they're both kind of boring airhead protagonists. Yo has an advantage of him being kind of a blank slate is intentional because it, like Minata says, it helps him channel the ghosts better. Yep. And that's an interesting aspect. But I don't think Yo has any of the highs of Goku, even knowing where his character goes in the future and what I like about him. A lot of what he has going for him, frankly, is just character design. Yeah, and a lot of the time it's so that he can play off the... Amitamaro? Yeah, it's so Amitamaro can kind of, like, play through him, and, like, he has that very laid-back and carefree attitude because that's how he connects with spirits, so he, like, cultivates that on purpose. Looking at the bit of the shonen block we have below that, I don't think he's as good as Asta or Ichigo either. No, I don't remember much of his character from the show, so this is me kind of going off of, oh yeah, I read volume one and kind of remember what happened. I do like them a little bit, the two of them a little bit better as well. Lower down, I think strangely comparable is Yugi and Nariyuki from We Never Learn, because they're both kind of empty vessels for you to project into. Yo is just an empty vessel for characters to project into, whereas Yugi is for uh, readers. I think Yugi is a bit more interesting, though. Just a bit, yeah. Way below Yu-Gi-Oh, we have Saitama, and I also think he's a bit more interesting. Yeah, especially as the series progresses, I really like where Saitama goes. Below him, we have Sora, and I would put Yo above Sora, but I think you're going to fight me on that, and I don't, and I think I would defer to you if you would. Yeah, I like Sora more simply because I know more about him, because I've read the English releases of the light novels. So I'm up to that point in this, in Sora's story and like him a little bit better than Yo. Cause again, I don't remember much of Yo from the story other than his character design and the fact that he fights with Amitamaro. Right below Sora, we have Sakamichi Onada from Yo Amushi Petal. And I think that's where I want to put Yo is between them. That's fine. Okay. So Yo Asakura goes at number 23, bottom third of the list. Above Sakamachi and below Sora. Yeah, but even though he does go down there, it's kind of, like you said, on purpose. He's kind of a blank slate for a reason. And we do have a pretty top-heavy list. Although, I think he is like... I feel like Saitama's kind of the line there. Where Saitama feels like he should be a middle-of-the-list character to me. Yeah. Even though he's right where the bottom third starts. But like I said, top-heavy list, so... Yeah, well, a lot of this is because these are all manga that we have generally picked and not picked for reasons of like somebody recommended that we try this yeah so we're picking 
a lot of the time we're picking characters and especially because we're doing main characters. Yeah, so I was going to say, I think that has more to do with it. Yeah, we're picking main characters. Like, we really like these main characters. And even then, when we go back and do a lot of secondary characters, we're probably going to pick the best secondary character. Yeah. That brings us to the end of this episode. Next week, we're going to read another Shonen manga as Shonen Summer continues that I'm surprised it took us so long to get to because it was discussed as possibly the second one we would read in the podcast entirely and it just kept getting pushed back because it hasn't fit a theme i think it's the last like major major one i think we need to get to yep uh and that one's naruto so next week we will be reading volume one of naruto yep until then you can listen to our past episodes at www.lastpodcast.com that's also where you'll find the personality power level list as well as our discord and if you hate crunchyroll you can talk about it there or you can recommend manga for us to read we have all summer to read some shonen stuff so if you got a hidden gem, we'd love to hear a suggestion. You can also find my other two podcasts there, last time on video games, where we just played Warcraft, the classic RTS, as well as It's a Gundam, my Gundam podcast. If you like Shonen anime, Gundam Seed's very good, and we're doing an episode-by-episode episode recap of that, and we're to the very good part. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or just tell a friend. Our theme song is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music is by Spectacular Sound Productions, and our album art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. Got anything to plug this week, Kevin? Not this week. All right, we will see you next time. Believe it.